everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and it has been a hot, wet American summer in Hollywood, and I am so glad to be back talking about Quentin Tarantino's latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to be doing a few different things in today's talk. Uh, first, we're going to talk about some of the movies we've been watching in the last month, because wouldn't you believe it? It's been over a month since we've... Uh, had a, a full episode come out, so we're going to catch up on uh, the films we've uh, missed, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some cool news that broke here at our home state of Oklahoma, and then we're going to jump into a spoiler-free review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, and of course, I won't be doing it alone. As always, I'm so thrilled to be rejoined by my co-host, Laron Chapman. Laron, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's always good to be here. It's the highlight of my month, I will say. Ugh. I say that genuinely. I'm flattered. I'm flattered. It, wait, this is summertime. Is, uh, it's it's busy. Sure. We we all we all went very hard. Dead Center was in June. We had a uh, we 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 gave... forty eight hour hour film race was immediately after that. Yeah, so, yeah it was a busy. It's, it's been a busy been a busy couple summer. Of months. Yeah, I promise you, people, at least one podcast a month, if not more, and we were not going to miss a chance to talk about Quentin Tarantino's. New film. I mean, this is an event. This is an event film. Yes, they only happen every what every couple four, uh, four, th- or, five four, four or five years. years so. Yeah, this is the first time we've talked about a Quentin Tarantino movie together. I think so. Yeah, <sighs> for sure. So exciting, and I have on on live. We should say. L- live. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Recorded for the public's listening ears. Yeah, yeah. We, we we've recorded many podcasts that didn't get recorded. Yes, uh, on this topic. That is generally our relationship. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Laron. Well, I, I'm I'm so excited to jump into that with you. But uh, first and foremost, I do want to remind our listeners before we get into the thoughtful conversations on film from uh, Plant Thunder Productions, you can find the cinematic schematic and more episodes of the podcast over at the cinematropolis.com. We also have a bunch of written essays. If you want to go catch up with films that we liked earlier this summer, you should check it out there. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis or on Twitter at the Cinematrop. Uh, but without further ado, Laron, me and you have some catching up to do. Sure. Because there's been a lot of th- movies that have come out uh, since we last talked. And first and foremost, I want to jump into a movie that kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't on my radar until mm. it was. And even then, it was still quietly on the radar. Sure. And then I was like, oh, crap, I got to catch this before it's not in Oklahoma anymore. And that is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. We built these ships. Dredged these canals. In the San Francisco they never knew existed. This is our home. Back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? We could throw parties. You could put on one of your plays. We could yell. It is this house. Our old house. That's not your old house, and that's not your neighborhood. It played at our AMC that kind of tends to shepherd the indie films, Quail Springs. It was there for about a week and a half, and then it poofed, and I was like, oh no, I missed it. By the grace of Rodeo Cinema, it arose from the ashes, 
and I was able to catch it at a uh, Monday, no, Tuesday matinee. I took a pro- I took a personal day and went and saw this movie. And let me tell you, it was the best use of my personal day <laughs> in a long time. And uh, so I just want to get your take on the film because I feel like this is a, a movie no one's talking about really that sure. much. Yeah, it, I feel like the marketing for this is was similar to like Martin Scorsese's Silence. That's what I'm kind of comparing it to, where the, it's a film that is definitely worth your time and definitely something that should have been on everyone's radar but i literally hadn't heard of it and i and i absorb you know film you know film content you know daily so i feel like i, I this is like a you know the, the that saying from uh pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl the only people who know where it's at are the people who've been there sure. that's what it felt like because yeah. to your point i don't think i had seen a single trailer trailer anything thank god for twitter right i never would have discovered tw- this movie twitter well honestly i'll say it was the burns brothers of all people that that got me onto yeah. it and then yes. saw a poster for it and I was like, why don't I know about this? And I saw the trailer, like, that looks amazing. And it was. So, um, no, I I think this is a visual poem of a film. You know, I, I've kind of, com- it's very lyrical. I've kind of um, described it like it it has a music-like quality to it, yes. the way it's told um, through sound and music and, and culture and, and just uh, lots of rich colors and what have you. So, uh, the way they extract emotion out of this very kind of personal story, you know, about the kind of damaging effects of uh, gentrification in San Francisco and what that has, what what impact that has on on preserving certain cultures and certain subcultures. Or, or just people who have been, you know, their third, fourth, fifth generation San Franciscans, right? Like, sure. what yeah. is this doing to those people, right? To those people, exactly. There's a really powerful sequence there in the, uh, whenever the he's talking about the history of that house that he's been working on. And and then you have this tour guide that's telling all these people misinformation about the origin of it. And it just shows you how over time, you know what I mean? When that history isn't preserved, how sometimes uh, the facts and the details about our own history, particularly people of disenfranchised people, mm-hmm. um, you know, how that gets contorted and, um, and then repurposed, you know, and, and someone else takes credit for it. And so I thought this was a, uh, obviously, like a cautionary tale about the, the effects of that, but then also, um, you know, a, a really powerful story about pride and um, and relationships and the kind of um, I think you mentioned in your review, like some of the the lies that get told. It, it, it's it's um it's interesting because I think this movie works on so many different levels. Yeah, high level. I feel like the surface level reading is the gentrification piece. Like you're looking at this as a macro level. Wow, these people are just being. What existence they have is being just slowly drained from them um, because of this thing that's happening in San Francisco. Um, but on the personal level, uh, yeah, I I think there's some really interesting ideas about how those small, subtle lies we tell ourselves mm-hmm. over and over again, you kind of forget their lies yeah. and how those lies impact the relationships we share with other sure. people, the people who are closest to us. Yeah. Uh, so I think it works on a lot of levels. It works on a micro scale and as, a, as yeah. a great character piece, but also I think the themes on a bigger picture. The, theme, the it, themes are what are fast about it. Uh, it's, it is pretty much a small scale film in terms of, I mean, obviously it's again, it's stylistically, it's, it's very um, polished and slick, but, um, but it, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, self-contained in this one little space. But it is, it's a beautiful ode to the beauty of San Francisco in general, particularly during that time. You know, so I think, um, I think it's definitely something that people should absorb and see. And I think they'll get some, some, you know, a nice, um, a nice history lesson as well. You know, about about some of the origins of things there. But yeah. 
Yeah. No, I I, uh, I completely agree. And this is from uh, writer-director Joe Talbot, and it stars uh, Jimmy Fails and Jonathan Majors. Uh, again, I, I, like, I love how you call it a visual poem because it really does feel like that. It has all the emotional energy that you would get from reading a poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it you feel San Francisco feels like such a real lived-in character. Um, all of this feels like a, a, a really a, a poem on a grand scale. And again, I, I yeah seconded. If you can find this film playing on any screen in your city, check it out. Probably won't be there very long. And I hope by the grace of the Academy that it makes a resurgence come the end of the year for award season because I I would say this movie easily top 10, probably top five movies of the year, sure. hands down so far. Especially right now. And yeah. I think it deserves that sort of attention. Sure. I think the closing note on that, just basically the three highlights I would say, cinematography is gorgeous. Um, it's, it's so it's just so pretty to look at for one thing. And then the, as you mentioned, the two performers, both terrific, very layered. Um, and then the score was something that stood out to me too. Um, that's something that I would like to revisit too later on. I want to see how it lines up obviously once Oscar season comes, but as of right now, that's, that was my favorite score that yeah. I've heard so far this year. So definitely. I, I think those three categories are the major, I'd even throw a director out there too. I, sure. I would throw that out Absolutely. there. I think it's a really strong, yeah, I don't, know if, vision. I don't know if it's a debut or not, but it it, it, it has a very strong visual command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yep. he, he knows what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. Mm-hmm. So. so the next film I want to hit on is one that definitely got more traction with uh, <laughs> uh, the film internet, uh, and that is Midsummer. Yeah. And uh, we actually caught this one together. Yes, we did. Uh, because you're an amazing friend and showed up to my birthday party. Because, yes, at my birthday, I invited my friends to go watch Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, because he's a sadist. Yeah, we caught this film, Ari Aster, his uh, second film following last year's hereditary uh this is kind of delving into his obsession with cults mm-hmm. uh you could call it the most horrifying breakup movie yeah. uh, of the year yeah. <laughs> or of the decade <laughs> yeah for sure um Laron, did you think this was as strong as hereditary here's the thing um a lot of people complained um the people who didn't care for it and it's been a polarizing film for sure um but so was i guess hereditary was oddly enough but i felt like um here the the story, the narrative is definitely it's more narratively obtuse than um, than hereditary, but I felt there was a lot more to draw from in the abstraction here. Um, just there's a lot in that void that that well that what appears to be a void um, because it's not as easy to easy to pin down as hereditary was. I think. Um, Hereditary easily is more sca- is more effective as a horror film, like as, as a genuinely like a fright fest. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is more cerebral, and I think that. Um, but I found myself thinking about it a lot more often than I did Hereditary. I still think Hereditary edges out in terms of just collectively as a whole, just more enjoyable to me. But I think Midsommar is something that I would love to revisit several times because there's just some there's so much being thrown at you at once and a lot to take in um just you know um from all fronts filmmaking so yeah no i tend to agree with you i think I, of the two i prefer hereditary but there's a few reasons for that one i, I yeah 
as hard as Hereditary was to watch, I think it's a more digestible film. Yeah, like I, you know, that's a it's a gross. Hereditary is a grossly uncomfortable movie. Sure. This is a movie that was so uncomfortable. I'm like, yes, I'm gonna revisit this because mm-hmm. it's just that well done. But mm-hmm. also, I'm like, God, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's quite a lot. It, it's a, it's a lot. It takes. It's lengthier too. It's quite a long film. I think it it's is two hours and thirty forty minutes. Or yeah, so, so. It, it feels. It does feel that. It like not feels that in a. It's dense. It's it's just yeah. It doesn't feel long and like a oh I'm ready to get out of here. It feels long and a oh my god because you're so uncomfortable you're living in this very uncomfortable place for a very long time very long time um but uh, no i mean his his his, uh set design in in uh, midsummer is incredible the cinematography again every every frame of this film could be a just a crisp you know postcard of of you know everything is captured very well it's his attention um, to the smallest things, you know, throughout the story are so, it's just, again, a rich and vibrant looking film for right. sure. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of draws you in. It's very dreamlike in that way. And yeah. You, you kind of perpetually feel like it's dream in a, in a, in a nightmare, really. It's surrealistic. It's yeah. a surrealistic film for sure. And, um, there's enough familiar elements to it to, to kind of, you know, ground you. And at least, at least I give you a breadcrumb of it's not, you know, but it just feels like it starts weird and then it gets weirder. And then you can't imagine it being weirder. And, and then it, it somehow just going it there. just keeps doing that. I, I think really this is just the prequel of the good place we didn't know about. You know, sure. Cheaties sure. down here being a sociology major and whatnot. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's I've heard him describe it as an adult fairy tale. Um, and obviously, you mentioned a. Um, uh, it has fantastical elements to it somewhat, you know, um, mainly uh, drug-induced ones. It's all drug-induced. Drug-induced yeah. ones, for sure. But living in that headspace long enough, then that's kind of what it could feel like. Um, you leave feeling like you are high. Yes. And like literally, like not just saying that, you know, uh, figuratively it, speaking, you literally feel somewhat disoriented leaving the it, theater. It does feel dreamlike. And, then, and that's the thing. He does such a good job at immersing you in that story and that world that he's created that you, yeah, walking out of you're kind of in this dreamy days sort of state. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it's, it's drugs the movie. Like you watch it and you for sure. like taking drugs, and it's very disturbing. It's a it has, oh, yeah. it has a very disturbing undercurrent to it throughout. Even when there's not violent things happening, just just the uncomfortableness you feel watching it, but never in a way where you're like, I want to run and get out of this theater. But you you're so you know kind of perversely fascinated with how it just keeps mesmer it's like you're being hypnotized yes you know like you're just you're trying to understand what you're seeing and it gets weird what does it mean what does it mean and how is it all you know yeah and uh, and and it also lays down some trope that there are things it does that may make it seem like it's going to be very tropey sure and it's not tropey it doesn't go that way no No. it it derails all of that and i think um also i mean he mentioned also that it was kind of a a metaphor for catharsis, you know, particularly um, growing, going, dealing with grief, and then also uh, a breakup of sorts, like you mentioned. And I feel like reading it in that context, because some people thought the story, they're like, it just goes nowhere, or there's. I was like, no, I feel like no, it goes all sorts of places. I think and, the story is simple. Yes, I just think, but the story itself, it's told in such an elaborate way there's it's so many a, different these are character stories sure the, the plot on a whole is not that complicated that is not what this movie's about that's what i was yeah saying. a bunch of uh yeah basically a bunch of college kids go to a swedish festival that's the story that's the story that's, that's the story but so and, much and, happens and crazy there things happen that provides richness to the story so i mean you could say the same thing about a haunted house movie uh, a bunch of people walk into a haunted house and uh, they can't get out that you know what i mean there like it's, it's like that there's more to it than than, uh, than that obviously 
Um, yeah, so highly recommend it. I, I will probably wait until this hits home video to check it out again. <laughs> yeah. I need to come. I need some time. Uh, yeah. You know, Compelling performances. The lead oh, actress, incredible. I don't know. I think it's Florence Pugh, something like that. Something She did a... She did an indie film recently that she was praised for called um, uh, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, I think it was called. And um, she was fantastic, compelling in that. And here, I think she's someone that we're going to see, you know, a lot more from. I, I think so, too. She was she's very, great. She was great in this. Well, and like I said, I love seeing William Jackson Harper in there. Chidi from The, the Good Place mm-hmm. is fun. Uh, we get mm-hmm. Will Poulter, who, if anyone watched Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror yeah. interactive movie, he was kind of a featured character in that. Um, I think you Jack ca- Rayner. I think you called it our um, our answer to the the modern day Wicker Man of what's yes. it, it yeah. has that has that sensibility. I, no, I I feel like it's the mo- no. I really do feel like though it, it is the modern day Wicker Man because it's it's kind of exploring that same sort of culture Wicker Man is trying sure. to do, but in a very very different way in the 21st century. Yeah. So there's like a lot of differences, and I'm not talking about the. Um, Nicholas Cage Wicker Man. I'm talking about the original, <laughs> yeah. you know. No one's talking the, about that. No one. No, no, the, 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 like the, the, I think it was what the 60s or 70s. Christopher Lee was in it. Like sure. it's a, and that movie's fine. I don't love that movie. I like the, of the three. I like this one the best probably. But that sure. movie is definitely doing some interesting things and trying to explore similar aspects of yeah. that culture. I'd, I'd say it's modern day Wicker Man. I think maybe we understand what the Wicker Man was supposed to trying to do back sure. when it came out. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well. Um, yeah, we, I would like to think so. Um, I think, to the, I mean, final point I want to really make about this film is basically that it feels like um, the the most disturbing thing about it is how nuanced and how uh, nonchalant. Not everything's nonchalant every, it, it, and that's the thing that makes it more disturbing the is way everyone something horrific can happen and everyone's calmness everyone when acts like it's normal whether it's a murder whether it's a you know whether what no matter what's happening i feel like it does a great thing and I'm, I'm trying not to spoil things but it does this thing where it lures you into understanding how you could be lured into, into a, a cult, cult. Yeah. And feel like, no, this is fine, guys. Look, what's happening is not a big deal. No, yeah, this, this is, is normal. Fun. This is how it always this goes. Is, it's tra- Yeah, you're being... Oh, I can't spoil it, but there's a certain character that, like, all this crazy stuff happens, and every time someone asks, no, no, this is just... This is normal. This, this is, is, yeah. this is, part, no, this is of, part of This is all it. part of the process. Well, and I guess <laughs> we should also frame it that... Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, that the, the characters, the college students who go are all sociology majors, and I want to get their thesis papers mm. off of this trip oh yeah i never, never made that connection yeah that's uh, definitely you know so like like it's a combination of people being just mm-hmm. kind of accepting that this is a normal mm-hmm. ritual kind of, that you're participating in kind of the stanford experiment like a that a little bit yeah yeah where you're like what if you're enclosed in this space like how, you know what is in human nature how do you react in certain situations you're trapped here in this space people are doing these things everyone else seems to be fine with it you don't want to be the person that's freaking out about everything but what's happening is right. very abnormal right you know, so. it's that combo with the fact that the some of the students, some of these people who who go and and are experiencing this, are morbidly curious because they want to work it into this research paper for sure. their degree, right? So sure. it's like a combo of like some of these characters. They're just like, I don't want to be the one to rock the boat because I'm not part of this. I'm just here for the ride, sure. and I'm also <laughs> drugged up. And, and there's a level you, of like not wanting to offend. Like, oh, like yeah. what if we say this? Like, we might offend the culture. We might right. not offend. Like, just maybe this is just something we don't understand, and this is normal, but something in their gut is saying. There's a moment really early in the film when it goes from like, oh, this is kind of weird to. 
oh, these people are crazy. Sure. That, but everyone's like, no, no, no. This is so. Why everyone, are we still here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. This is part of the ritual. This is how it goes. Yeah. 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 And then that's when you're like, okay. And everything after that, it's already kind of dreamy because the characters are drugged up when they get to that point that I'm talking about. But everything mm-hmm. after that, you're just like, yeah, waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah, waiting Ooh. for the next thing to happen. It's it's nuts. It is something you will not forget. Whether no. you love it or hate it, it is something you will talk about. And I've always, you know, championed and, and um, praised films that do that. Um, because if I can feel something leaving it, then they, some, that filmmaker did their job. Absolutely. And if so. I can say I've never seen a film like that, and I feel like it was... A f- I feel like it was effective in what it was trying to do. Whether or not you like that, I think it did it pretty well. Yeah, so, you know, sure. hey. Uh, sure. but enter it with caution, but yes. knowing knowing that you're you're in for something that's not going to make you feel particularly good. Nope. Nope. Uh, the last film I'm just going to mention, and it's not good, but I just want to mention it because I was somewhat excited, weirdly, was uh, Stuber, because uh, it's starring uh, Dave Bautista and Kamal Nanjiani. Uh, I love those guys. Sure. I felt like they made a funny duo. Uh, I mean, the premise was silly, but it just it kind of felt like, you know, like a studio comedy sure. featuring a couple people I like. But sometimes the studio comedies can be great. We get stuff you. like, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, kind of like a Will Ferrell movie from the early aughts, you sure, know, something sure. kind of like that. He had a handful of good ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're hit or miss. Yeah. There's a lot of, mm, for every hit, you had probably a two misses or a miss and a half, maybe sure. even. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, this was... Not great, but I just want to mention it because I have some friends who are excited about it. There are people asking if they should, who've asked me, should I see it? That and I'm, and eh, yeah. 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 I expected. Here's the thing: those two are great. I still maintain those two are great and could easily make a great buddy cop or buddy movie. Yeah. The well, the, movie, the movie just was not up to par. Like the script was just not up to par. It, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great. Well, I didn't get a chance to catch it. Um, I won't be running to see it, but um, but I will say, um. For a general audience, say your average, you know, everyday movie goer, are they going to walk away with this entertained enough? I don't. Do think, I don't think. Do you think I, even on that level, it's probably a skip it? I feel like it's probably a skip it. And I hate cool. to say that because I want those guys to do good stuff. I want sure. them to do more stuff together, even because I, I like them and I feel like they do have some chemistry. Kumal especially is really really great. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like the script played as well as it could have to Batista's strengths, but um. Here's the thing. I went into that with like almost no expectations except to really like those actors being funny together. Uh, and I saw it with my girlfriend. We just were like, hey, it's been a crazy Friday. Let's watch something that's kind of like mindless. You know, you don't. Sure. You know, yeah. It's a drive through. Right. But this wasn't even a good Big Mac. This was like a. <laughs> it was cold. It, it, it was <laughs> cold. Like they didn't put enough Mac sauce on there, yeah, you know, or, or they Taco Bell and they don't give you. Yeah, they left the sauce. You don't have no sauce. Yeah. There's no... Yeah, there's no secret sauce there. There's none of that uh, creamy jalapeno stuff. Mc- there it is. Uh, McDonald's, Taco Bell, we are taking uh, sponsors right at this time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, no, I think it's skip it. And it's a bummer because I, I walked away feeling like, I, I, I walked away feeling like, and I wasn't even trying to be that critical of it. I right. just wanted to have a good time. And even on that level, it kind of. I just feel like it should have been funnier. Because even the premise could have been better. It just like, it felt like. The writers didn't know what they had, and the actors weren't the the script didn't write to those performers' strengths as much sure. as it could have. Like I said, I think Kumal probably more than anybody carried the movie. Yeah, he has some really good bits, but it's definitely not enough to justify the ticket price. Or the time I saw it with the AMC uh, A list, and I still still felt cheated. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I could have <laughs> spent that hour and a half doing something better, better, you, you know, know, like better. watching it, Toy Story two four, four again, again and, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sure. 
So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's about all I got. I guess we could mention Spider-Man. Did you see Spider-Man, by the way? I missed Spider-Man. Oh, you missed Spider-Man? I missed it. Um, should I talk I remember about you it? said it was your least favorite of the three. Not necessarily saying it was bad, but that Jake Gyllenhaal, who I won't speak illy of, but I've worked with him and have different yeah. opinions about him. But um, Hold on. You're saying that like he's got a gun pointed to I, your head right he now. He is. He's right in here, guys. <laughs> he might. You never know. I might collaborate with him one day, and he might hear this podcast, and I will be like, oh, yeah, that one guy. I'm like, oh, yeah. I heard you on that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review like five years ago. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. I remember that. He's holding it against me. No. Um, I hear he was the highlight of it. for to some. He was easily the highlight of it. Okay. Um, you know, I don't want to go too into it. I've, we talk about superhero movies a lot. Um, of the last three Spider-Man movies, so that is Far From Home, Into the Spider-Verse, and Homecoming. It's definitely, I think, the weakest. Uh, it doesn't make it bad, though. I actually, because I like those other movies quite a lot. In fact, Spider-Verse was one of my favorite movies last year, as sure. listeners are probably aware. I think that movie transcends anything in the MCU, Sure, uh, honestly. So... Um, and it's on Netflix right now, guys. So check it out. Check it out. If and uh, if you have a 4K TV, I gotta say it looks really sick in 4K. But you know, Spider Verse. Check it out. Send uh, this plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one it um it 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 takes about a third of the movie for for me to really get going. Sure. I, I like some of the teen drama they're trying to drum up, but I I just had a hard. It took me a long time to get a sense of what is going on in the movie. There's a reason for that. People who are listening have probably seen it and they know what that is. But like, there's a there's a clear moment for me when I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. Board, yeah. We're having a great time now. I wasn't having a bad time before, but I was just kind of confused about like, okay, what am I supposed to follow here? Like we're right. following all these different things. Oh, here's what we're following. And it's great. But yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. Hammed it up. <laughs> hey man, all I'm saying is if I could get him in more hammy performances like this, I'd, I'd be down for it. There you go. Like it's not quite like Oakjaw hamming it up, but like, He's getting pretty close, but like in a super villain sort of bro. He's not twi- twirling his mustache. He's just got charisma, and yeah. you, but you believe his motivations. Anyway, he's great. He elevates the movie, and also, this kid who grew up watching that 90s Spider-Man cartoon, they use Mysterio, which is uh, a great character from that show that I enjoyed that I never thought in a million years would actually make it to the big screen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also, there's a great mid-credits cameo that made me like actually jump I felt like <laughs> fan service, but in a way that I wanted. So I felt yeah. good about it. <laughs> there you go. It was worth the ride. Though. Yeah, yeah. Worth so, the ride. Yeah, worth the ride. So yeah. unlike Stuber. Um, unlike Stuber, yeah. This, this one you should actually catch. Spider-Man, go and see it. Uh, I mean... Not high expectations, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's another MCU film. Sure. And yeah. you're going to be satisfied. Yeah. And there will be certain things about it that you'll really like. There'll be certain parts of it. Maybe not so much, but... Uh, I will say, though, will... The question I'm going to pose out here... Will the MCU ever get out of the shadow of Tony Stark? That is a question I want to throw that out there and just ponder. Because Spider- Spider-Man has had two MCU movies, and they're both... He looms large Largely. over both of them, even after he's... Spoiler alert for the biggest movie of all time. Uh, dead. Mm-hmm. He still is a very big presence in the yeah. movie without yeah. actually having to appear in the movie, per se. Sure. So. Sure. All right, so that'll do it for what we've been watching, guys. A lot, a lot of good stuff uh, coming out uh, but today. And we're going to get to our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But, Laurent, we don't talk about movie news on here a lot. I generally don't necessarily think it's super productive, and it, it dates the conversation. But I did want to mention this one yeah. because uh, I think that this is actually really exciting for us yeah uh we are a podcast based in oklahoma sure so we don't get we you were and you've worked on many a film set yeah um may or may not have worked with jay Hall at one point and um <laughs> may or may not have enjoyed, enjoyed it yeah <laughs> and uh that that might have happened 
And uh, and you've worked on August Osage County yeah. in the past. Uh, yeah. So you've worked on some pretty high profile films. You've you know you've worked on some smaller films here in Oklahoma. So we do have a film industry here. It's small but building and getting stronger. More productions are coming here. Cool tax incentives. X Y Z. Not trying to make this commercial, but I'm saying we do have things that happen here occasionally. It's always really exciting when this happens. And I wanted to bring this up because this movie's not coming out for a while. So it was just announced that. Uh, Martin Scorsese's next film, no, not The Irishman, his next film, mm-hmm. he is collaborating again with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro uh, in a film called Killers of the Mo- Flower Moon, mm-hmm. which is an adaptation of a novel yep. that takes place in Oklahoma. Uh, in and, Osage County. In Osage County. Man, what is it about Osage County, There man? is a rich history in Osage County. I, and so much work actually is done there, which is surprising, uh, even television. So, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. So the synopsis for this, uh, as written by IndieWire, uh, reads, The 1920s set drama is based on David Grant's historical book and centers around the... Uh, the Osage Nation murders in which members of the Native American tribe were killed after a group became rich after discovering oil at their reservation. And then the murders attracted the attention of the newly created FBI. There you go. So um, um, I have not caught the book. I have heard fantastic things about that book. Um, And we, we sell it at my day job at the airport and it sells very, very well. So I think... Um, I was really excited when hearing this news because Martin Scorsese, obviously, uh, you know, mastermind Jesus. He's only got so many movies left in him, too. Right. So to be here in my own, you know, two hours away from our backyard, basically, essentially, yeah, making you know a a high budget production with some A list stars is huge because it could be an Oscar contender. It could be great for our state in general, Um, but and also bringing it into the heart i knew that if he wanted it to be authentic in most of his films most almost all of his films are um that he would want to shoot it on location in osage county so the fact that they finally announced that he did in fact land here and not going to repurpose it and make it in some other state is really exciting for us and for the film community at at large but then particularly for our state yeah no and this is a big win and yeah i I appreciate that you highlighted that about scorsese because he does strive for authenticity and in the setting uh but that doesn't always happen there usually whenever there are high profile projects set in oklahoma they're very rarely filmed here i I think of a really big one logan from a couple years back uh notoriously they stop in oklahoma city and it looks nothing like oklahoma city in any capacity other than there's a casino in oklahoma city downtown anyway um and then also we have uh upcoming uh there's the watchman hbo series set at least a big chunk of the story is set in tulsa but they did not film in tulsa so uh yeah it doesn't always happen no you know where they 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 set your move their movie and their story in a place that they actually film there so i think it's it's really exciting to have and this is probably the biggest cast since i mean wildlife or even august or even august yeah, yeah for sure and I think too. I think shooting it on location is so important. I think probably for just not just for authenticity, but also just for out of respect for that 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 true life story. You know what I mean? Like this happened here on this turf. Why not shoot it there? And also because it's so wide open here, Oklahoma is easy an easy state to film in. So I'm um, as far as good as licensing and what have you. So it it's going to be great. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I, fingers crossed. I can get on that film. Oh, I was gonna say we wink, could go. Wink. We could we could go. You know, I could take some vacation time and we could rent a tent over in. There it is. Uh, That's all I, want. I just want to see them work. You know, yeah, just just watch from a distance with <laughs> binoculars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Fingers crossed. <sighs> yeah, I hear they're looking for people to work on that film, Lorana. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. I hear there's a podcast who wants to interview people who are working on that film too. I'm hireable. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, that will do it for uh, our latest talk on the breaking news. Uh, Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our spoiler-free review discussion of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles, then. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. (laughs) All the shooting. (laughs) I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? That was from the trailer of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, that stars Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, and many, 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 many others. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Literally anybody in the movie actually is somebody. Yeah. Uh, And if you're in a Tarantino movie, you might be somebody. (laughs) You're probably somebody, uh, including um, uh, Ethan Hawke's Ethan Hawke and uh, Uma Thurman's daughter. Yes. Um, yeah. God. Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch. Uh, yes. Timothy. All. It's just so many it's random, random people that. But that's always how Tarantino films to scene. are. Scene to just scene. Saying, oh, hey, that guy. He hasn't done anything in a long time. Here he is again. It's always like a playbook of like. Yeah. No. Well, I just figure it's one of those things like, and and you, I don't know, but I'm sure it's one of those things everyone wants to be in a Tarantino. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. even more than an MCU movie because there's so few of them. It's yeah. like. I'd really want to be in a Tarantino film. So like many. so he can cast anybody for any role, right? Sure. Like I mean sure. he doesn't make movies with the same, you know, uh, frequency as so as others. So once like you said, we mentioned earlier, it's an event film. So if you're in a Tarantino movie, like, hey, you don't know when his next one's gonna be or if he's gonna quit because he says he's gonna be done after ten films. I uh, doubt it. But he might. He says so. He allegedly ten, and apparently everyone wants the tenth one to be a Star Trek movie. But you know. There it is. <laughs> I wouldn't I, I mean I want I want a Tarantino Star Trek movie, but I don't if want. If he him, did it, I'm here for it. I'm here for it, but I don't want that to be his tenth film. No, not the one you go out on. No, Mm-mm. no, no. Mm-mm. I want that to be a weird. Anyway, side conversation. Anyway, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, the synopsis, record, according to IMDb, reads: A faded television actor and his stunt devil strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. So I think that about sums it up. Uh, sure. This is a very slice of life movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you are dropped into a couple of key days in the lives of these people. Yeah. There is not really much of a plot to speak of per se. Per se. It's just you're following these people around. It's a meditation yes. of that period in um, film history where, you know, you did have the all these stars who were just the highlight pinnacle of that period. Um, realizing that a huge change culturally was going to be happening soon. And you could feel it, you know, and I feel like you can even see this in watching the films from the 60s on into the 70s. There was a dramatic shift in tone, shift in, in context. A lot of things were happening historically that were different. And so it's kind of a, like a loving ode to that period, you know, that they wanted so desperately to kind of hang on to. You know, uh, so the, the way I, I kind of look at this film and it is... We're in a really weird, and I don't know if this is intentional or how this works, but it's it, we've been in this nostalgia culture for like what five or six years now, at yeah. least. I mean, there's all there's always been nostalgia culture, sure. but I mean, like it has taken such a prominence in 
right. the mainstream. Because, I would say the last 10 years even. You I know. think it's because of how quickly culture is changing, particularly with social media and what have you. I feel like we're, we're, we're seeing it literally rapidly, even just you know year to year, how differently people communicate mm-hmm. or don't. You know, so so we're, we're latching on to the simplicity, the of simplicity of life, the way it used to be less, you know, you know, busy and mm-hmm. or inundated with content, yes. really content. Because yeah. we mean, spent more everywhere. time, we spent more time with people. You know, we spent more time doing practical things, and right. now we spend so much time zoned friends. out, zoned yeah. out. Yeah. You know, so anyway, but I I see this as kind of Tarantino doing his own riff on his nostalgia. Yeah. You know, everyone else is like, everyone's watching the freaking Lion King and he's like, Lion King's what the yeah, what, what, No, yeah. no, what's that? No, he's thinking back to the 60s in the LA that he yeah. fondly remembers as a child. Yeah. Uh, you know. That's interesting. That's interesting uh, uh juxtaposition there. Yeah, cuz like we as products of the 90s, you know, we we have these live action films coming out as a part of our own nostalgia, but the films he grew up watching, the things he loved, and he's obviously not necessarily old enough to grow up during that period, but but grew up watching he, films from that era. But I mean, know. in some interviews I've seen him talk about, he's like, we recreated Hollywood exactly how I remembered it. Exactly how he but remembered it. What's interesting, it's how he remembered it, not, not exactly how, how it was. was. Yeah. That's and that's point. how I, it really, for me, that, yeah. I, I, you know, I, that really puts into perspective the entire tone and approach to the story in this film mm-hmm. because this is a sweet film. And I know it's crazy to say it's a sweet film that features the Manson murders, uh, <laughs> yeah. a street fight, shootings. Like, there's Tarantino violence is in this movie. Sure. But, like, it's generally speaking, it's an uplifting, sweet, reminiscing, it's, it reminiscing about this thing that was so great. You it's know? the most sentimental film he's made. I agree. Of all, his, of all, is it ten films now? I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, if you, if you count Kill Bill, it's ten. Yes. Otherwise, it's nine. If you count Kill Bill as two movies, it's ten. One movie, it's nine. Okay. He yeah. said he swears up and down it's one movie. He always has uh, a lot of love and passion for his characters, but here, um, the story itself radiates a kind of warmth that that's not normally there because there's normally a cold, callous darkness to uh, cynicism. Or, or yes, cynicism is very to, present. And I, I have to say. Um, Coming off the Hateful Eight, <laughs> which might be my least favorite Tarantino, or it's bottom down there. And I sure. and here's the thing: I actually think it's one of his better produced, ex, like just filmmaking. I think it's one of his better films yeah. by a lot. But uh, I gotta say, and I don't know if it's where I was at in my life when I saw that. That movie was so cynical and nihilistic. I was like, I just don't think I want to watch that again. Like, sure. the world's awful. Everyone's lying. Yeah. Uh, let's just go ahead and kill each other and laugh it off while we yeah. can. You know, I, I differ. I, I, I differ from you with that, but I, I have heard that sentiment uh, quite often with people who didn't care for it. That it, it, it's one of those films of his that, um, that definitely leaves you feeling cold afterwards, as opposed to invigorate it like most of his movies do. Right. Um, and again, I don't want to say that it's a bad movie because not. It's very yeah. again. I think from a craftsman as a craft, it is. Sure. It is. It is top notch and i love how it feels like a stage play there's actually a lot i love about that movie but yeah walking away at the end of the day the idea that i feel like he was trying to get across was just so true sad and like yeah hopeless hopeless you know? yeah um so coming For off sure. of that i was i and i seriously had a moment and I, I you know as you process movies you really yeah. don't like and i i'm gonna come around to that at some point i had a moment where i was like do i even like tarantino at all did i really like did you it? ever like him maybe <laughs> i just maybe i just misunderstood because yeah. yeah i mean even uh in glorious bat like all these movies are kind of cynical but they have a certain way of like getting you energized or um and in this film 
was like the antithesis of that. The more I thought about the Hateful Eight, the more I got mad about it. Mm-hmm. The more I think about this mo- movie, the more I, the happier I get. The more I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see that again. It's yeah. a great film. I love the I love the characters. I love hanging out with them. They're all so well written. Well written. They always are. Um, but the, yeah, but just in particular, and also it's fun to see. I mean, he always has big name actors in it, but but untraditional ones this time you know leo and and brad pitt are kind of we're kind of hollywood heartthrobs for quite a while they've never been in a movie together which is insane that is insane and then to make it to make it be in a tarantino film is you know obviously cherry on top of all of it but i feel like the two of them played very well after great chemistry between the two of them very fun performances uh i think brad pitt in particular um was my favorite brad pitt's my favorite as well yeah i just think there was a there was a charm to this one that's and I think it's because it was done lovingly. You know, it's like you can tell he really genuinely loved this period in film history and he wanted to pay tribute to it, you know, because it seems like uh filmmaking is going further and further away from any kind of sentiment or right. you know, any semblance of what that era was like. Um so well, it's getting forgotten, right? Yeah, it's being forgotten. It's kind of like it's like it's like newspapers are just dwindling away. You know, like print journalism, you know, in general, like that kind of um, that having something tangible to hold, it's everything's digital now. Everything's kind of, you know what I mean? It, there's no, there's no, um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I gravitas to it, you know? So I feel like um, here we have this movie that now, um, for anyone growing up in that era, I think uh, a local actor here made a tribute to it and said that, you know, he, he said, I have never seen a film that captured that period in my life better. And I thought, mm-hmm. and obviously I'm too young to have lived through it um but that 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 you know speaks to also to the authenticity of it Mm -hmm. this is probably the first tarantino film legit and i know you people don't know my dad but my dad loves that golden era stuff he loved Gunsmoke. he loved Mm -hmm. all the western stuff yeah this is probably the first tarantino movie i would actually legit take my dad to see to see how he reacted none of the i would never take him to see any of the other ones for all sorts of reasons but this one it's like homaging a period of time my dad probably grew up remembering Mm -hmm. i mean he didn't live in hollywood but he did remember the television shows and the way uh stories were told i mean that literally the opening kind of vignette i was like god this is like yeah this is this is a this is a type of television and and storytelling that is so from the from the past that will never happen again that classical that classical way of performing where you again like because i think there was an escapism to filmmaking at that point it was about compelling story to story and what have you but there was there was somewhat of a fantasy to it because everything was done with a certain polish i do and um it did obviously usher in the halt the formula film but i think um now there's such a staggering um i don't know um you know drive to make things real the realism of things like everything's so raw to the point Mm -hmm. of there's we're forgetting we're watching movies anymore you know we've gotten so close to almost getting to total film where it's just you know observing things right that you know the the craftsmanship of telling us a well-told you know you know is is dying you have Clint Eastwood is one of the last ones still making films in that vein. I don't know how he does it either. He yeah. is oof, boy. still manages to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I no, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so you know, uh, I think I love this movie. I think I love the movie. You know, and I I I, uh, I liked it a lot. And the more I thought about it, the more I've really it's really stuck with me. And uh, some of the jokes, the characters. Uh, you know, I just think this is one of Tarantino's best movies, and I like it because it doesn't have that cynicism yeah um i appreciate that cynicism sometimes yeah 
I think uh, it's one of his traits that, in a lot of ways, has elevated the art form uh, of film. The way he does that, the way he communicates things, the way he satirizes violence. I think uh, you know these are all very big contributions that I think Tarantino has made. And but I I do appreciate that as he kind of uh, is allegedly getting towards the end of his career, he's yeah he's he hasn't little, lost hope. He hasn't lost hope. Yeah, his love for film is still 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 alive. present. Yeah, present in the film. Um, and what I've always found impressive and um, fascinating about Tarantino as a filmmaker um, is his kind of meticulous attention to detail. Oh, every every, detail. every sign. Every poster, every vintage car, hairstyle, he, he musical is, cue. He's allegedly written three or so episodes of this television show, like at four episodes that he's intained to pitch. Oh Jesus! Of the Leonardo DiCaprio show, yeah, uh, starring Rick Dalton, Rick the West. Dalton, yeah, yeah, one of the shows he's on. Yeah. He actually, in an interview, says, "Yeah, I've got like three or four episodes. I might pitch it to Netflix or something." He's like, "You know, I don't think Leo will do it. I mean, I hope he does it, but he probably won't. You know, in his very Tarantino way." But uh, right, that's. How imagine like he has thought so deeply about these characters, sure that he has written like total fantasy shows that don't exist, yeah, and not for no reason other than to like give his characters in this movie extra depth and backstory. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. It's very nuts. And I, and also I feel like all of those elements kind of kind of culminate, you know, to really add a real richness, you know, and flavor to the setting and the in that period. Um, and the sentiment of that period, just kind of how people communicated and, and what, you know, that we hadn't gotten into a period of um, despair as a country or what have you at, at, up to this point. You know, there was still this 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 heightened horizon. Well, here's why I think it's interesting. This is about the time stuff started turning over because I know 1968 mm-hmm. was supposed to be kind of like the year stuff. That's when the year. The year. MLK got assassinated. Fair. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. So 68 was, but here's the thing though. This takes place largely in 1969. But I, I guess that I, I see what you're saying though, because again, I think it's important to note that this is how Tarantino remembers it. It does feel like a, it feels sure. like a really romanticized memory. Yeah. And that's the thing I like about this movie is it's kind of him both reminiscing and also kind of um what's Reflected, the word it's like he's reflecting on what his, could have been what could have been exactly and um i also feel like the one thing that that stands out to me in it that at, at first bothered me but now in in context um you know makes sense um is kind of this uh staggering devoid of um of, of people of color and mm-hmm. I thought to myself, you know, this is this. I mean, obviously, there's no Sam Jackson this time, so yeah. um, you know, spoiler. But um, I feel like um, it's indicative of the time, though, you know. And that's that he, again. This is how he remembered it, and in, in that particular time, we didn't have big mainstream actors, at least not in the forefront, um, that were stars. Like, that was back when black exploitation was probably exactly a, it was like a it was an under thing. it was it was its own separate entity, and so what you have are these these you know. Like you had your Rick Dalton esque type of you know character characters, your and I feel like um, even though it lacked it lacked that because normally his films you know have some minority character that is prominently you know there. I mean, it, we got Jet Li for one scene, sure. Or well, I should say a, a very lengthy scene, but sure, yeah. one scene, sure, one scene. Um, but it, it makes sense. It it it, it adds. Um, you know, and also again, it it, it ref, it's a reflective you know, look back at that period too, and see and maybe 
for all intents and purposes, all the all the the best parts of that era and the worst parts of it, you know. Um, but but an honest one, you know. So right, and then, uh, did I say Jet Li? I meant Bruce Lee. If I said Jet Bruce Lee, Lee yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. definitely Bruce Lee, not Jet Li. Jet Li, uh, Jet Li around. definitely was not around. He, yet. He not not yet, not yet. Uh, no, I think you're on to something. And I, I, you know, and you tell me what you think. I mean, obviously, race in America is a very important topic. But he's coming off of having made the Hateful Eight, yeah, and Django Unchained. This is a movie that's not about that. Sure. Um, I mean, like, are you? What do you think? Do you think that? Do you think it's necessary for this movie to touch on those things, or, or, um, do, you think, or do you think he touches on it by not saying a lot? I think there's something to be said about it not being in there at all. I think that I mean, and maybe if we go back and look at those films, I mean, it would it would it would also say there was a devoid of people of color during that period. We can have a conversation about that, um, just looking at the actual films from that period. Um, so, I mean, I don't think necessarily it was important for him to just, you know, in that revisionist way, create a character and then just make them the star that they wouldn't have been back then. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's not why he's making this film, you know, unlike right. Inglorious Bastards where he was trying to rewrite the history and not in getting too far into, it, we'll do it in spoilers. Um, there's an element of that here, but not in, in regards to race, you know? So I don't know. I think, um, I don't think every conversation has to call back to it. I do say, though, you know, that um, our entire country is founded on... You're never going to escape the conversation of race because, it. I mean, this nation was built on it, you know, so... Mm -hmm. That 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 it's in there, whether it was you know modified or hidden. It's there when it's not there. It's there when it's not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I'm really glad you made that observation. That's something I hadn't considered. Yeah. You know, because I guess I don't have to. Yeah. White privilege is a bitch. Okay, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that though because it is something that is of the time. There there was not there were not a lot of people of color on the screen making movies. Stars um, for sure. Like there, there might have been. Actors. Oh yeah, yeah. You Actually, I should say, I should say, stars. Roles, but, yeah, but stars like Rick specifically Dalton, stars. Yeah, period, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I, Laurent. Uh, I I don't know what else to say uh, about this movie without spoiling it. Um. I think this, the soundtrack's great. Uh, oh god. Yeah. Basically, any of the songs and any of the trailers find their way into the movie somewhere. The period music is um, fantastic. It's, it's so great, and yeah. it just. Again, it just makes you feel like you're there. It's a weird vibe. I never wanted this film to end. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's two hours and 40 minutes, but it brisks by and because you just take in everything. And I will say it's a sl- I mean, not, most of those films are uh, like particularly The Hateful Eight, um, but are a slow build, you know, but and even more so here. I mean, but I don't feel like any of the meandering in this film is not without you know reason or purpose um you know because everything yeah no because here's the thing like it it, i feel like i maybe you just kind of get early on that this is not a particularly plot driven thing you're just you're just like on a ride with these guys you're basking in that period it's kind of just you know i mean it's much of a character study as it is a setting story period you know piece of sort just to you know to again absorb that period in time and see what it was like but um, and in, and I appreciate that because having obviously not grown up in the sixties, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it very much as a person of color. But I think, um, but at least from the context of of the films that I watched as a film, you know, um, enthusiast and in film school, um, it 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 very much captures the the spirit of those films that I watched growing up, you know, with my grandmother or what have you. And so it was it was it, it is sweet in that way, you know. That he's able to extract that because that's so hard to do well. Yeah, because again, again, he uh, he touches on things like the the Manson murders. But I will also say something I've tried to 
kind of help set expectations to just telling people all of the history that's present is a backdrop. It is not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like they might encounter things that you know, uh, you right. know about from history, but it's not. It's not the story. It's not really a. It's yeah, not about that. It's not about that at all. Like no. it's just kind of these yeah. characters' inter- uh, journeys. They intersect with that moment, mm-hmm. and it just keeps going on. You know, exactly. And uh, so that's why I feel like it's so easy to say, "Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff in this movie. There are flamethrowers. There's all sorts of crazy stuff." Mm-hmm. But uh, it's sweet. It feels good. It, it's um, again just yeah. like a, it's like it's like you, it's like cracking open a beer yeah. in the summer with your friend on the back patio, your friend from high school or something, and just yeah. shit. You know, you haven't talked to him in like twenty years, and you're just sitting mm. reminiscing. Yeah, that's what it is. It, that's mm. what the whole movie feels like. And I, like you, like the times we usually spend reminiscing with our own friends from high school or whatever. Sure, you never want it to end, and no. I just feel like it captures that no. so well. No matter where you are, where you come from, you always look back on your past, whether it's hard. What was a hard pass or different? There's something you can always, you know, because something brought you to where you are, and and there's always little moments. That, there's always good things. There's right? always good things to look at. So yeah, there's lots. There's overwhelmingly terrible things, but you don't remember the terrible <laughs> things. Yeah, or you, you try not I mean? to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so before we give our verdict and then move into a our spoiler conversation, I do have to ask. I saw you ranking your Tarantino films. I did. On Facebook today, so I have not ranked them, but I do want to kind of talk through your list a little bit, and I'll throw my kind of my two cents out there, mostly because there's one film in particular that is Jackie Brown that I really want to revisit before I do a proper ranking, because I haven't seen it in a very long time, and I feel like I would like it much more today than when I watched it the first time. Um, So let's, uh, you want to start from the, yeah, let's go to the bottom. Start from the bottom. The bottom. The bottom. Number the 10. bottom of the list. And I and I it's interesting. I I always kind of say like because Tarantino is one of those filmmakers that is so so distinct. You know that you have somebody you rank it and then all of a sudden it's going to be a conversation starter because no 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 that needs to be way higher on your list or way lower on your list depending on what it is. But I think he's one of those filmmakers again. Um, as a consumer of art, he kind of show, I mean in watching these films and watching people rank them for themselves. It says a lot, you know, about what things they're most drawn to or respond to, you know, in terms of tone, in terms of style, in terms of, you know, as an artist. So, um, or storytelling. Um, but I feel like uh, the my least favorite film of Tarantino's is Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. And I love, and the thing is, I will say, all of these films are three and a half, four star films. So, I mean, if I'm ranking on a four star scale here. So, none of these films are beneath are beneath three and a half stars. So I, I love all of them. Gotcha. But gotcha. I think that Reservoir Dogs is the one I haven't I can I may may obviously be um due for revisiting because I've probably seen it twice. Um but it's the one that just doesn't resonate with me the most. And maybe because it's as less flamboyant, less showy, it's definitely he's always been a talky, you know, filmmaker, mm-hmm. heavy on dialogue and character development. But there's something about that one in particular that just doesn't feel um, it doesn't leave an emotional impact on me, whether that's just a visceral feeling leaving it, like you know right. that I do with his other films. But so I put that there towards the bottom. But. So, so my number, my number ten that I'm making up sort of on the fly. I don't have it written down like you do, but I do have it up here with the caveat that I really want to rewatch Jackie Brown. Okay, just one caveat. Okay. So that if it falls low on my list, no, it's not because I don't like it. It's because I don't remember it as fondly as others, but it's only because I didn't really 
Sure. I don't think I fully appreciated that movie when I watched it. I truthfully don't think I did. So I, I, I saw it way too soon, right after seeing Pulp Fiction when I was in high school. Sure. The only time I saw it. Yeah. But I feel like I would like it way more now. I so. it's it's the it's the one I've revisited in a sense made its way to the top three on Very the list. Cool. So I think it's definitely one that is I feel like is highly underrated. It's also his least seen and least referenced one. Yes. So um but I think also too, because it in some ways tonally it is it is different. Than, He's than way some of his other more films. reserved. Way more reserved film. in there. It's a different Tarantino. It's a yeah. different brand of Tarantino. Definitely. But I think uh, having a more refined palette now, you would watch it and appreciate things in it that you I may have so didn't too. then. Exactly. Um, so we might have just, it might have just been our time when it came out because I didn't enjoy it until, I mean, maybe the last five years. So, I mean, but yeah, um, definitely worth revisiting. So, caveat, asterisk, that's my list. My number 10 is going to be Death Proof. Okay, that's number nine for me. Um, another one I probably should revisit. I revisit that one more recently and still kind of felt like, okay, it was better than I, than I when I watched it the first time. Yeah. But I still don't love the characters as much as I want to. Sure. Again, it's been about six years since the last time I revisited the movie. So, you know. That to me is exactly what it was supposed to be. And the thing is, is I, I get what you're saying. I mean, compared to... Pulp Fiction, or compared to, it's well, definitely his like Fun House again, Grindhouse. I mean, yeah, it was yeah, part this of that is part of the Grindhouse double feature. Yeah, so it, th- I would look at this more like this was just for fun, and on that level, it has his signature brand of you know. I thought Kurt Russell was great in that movie. Cackling, yeah, Firecracker. Actually, I thought all the performers were great in that movie. Firecracker dialogue. That, those women, that band, that band of badass women in the cars. Like, it's just fun. It's not. It's not deep or particularly meaningful. It's just it's a ride, right? And it's done. It's done very slickly. And that chase scene at the end is fantastic. It's great. It's yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But I, but definitely lower on the list in terms of impact for sure. Because and I think intentionally so. I don't think it was ever supposed to be comparable to some of his greater films. But um, but yeah, I have that as number nine. So all right. So number nine. Your number nine is Death Proof. Death Proof. My, yeah. My number nine. My number ten was uh, Death Proof. My <laughs> my. My uh my number nine is gonna be Reservoir Dogs. Um because Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. Yep. Because cool, cool. uh, <laughs> yeah. uh no no. <laughs> I, I don't you know, I've revisited that one a couple times, but I don't really have as much of a desire to. I think it's a fun movie. It's a it's a really cool exercise yeah, yeah. of like single location films. Yeah. It set the standard. Yeah. I feel like there have been, and this might be blasphemous, there have been other films that have done single location films better since better. then. I agree. Uh, I agree. And you know it's a fun. It's a fun time. It's a fun time. Good again. Good performances. It, it's well written. It's not. It's not a bad film by any stretch. But no. I, I just. I just think in ranking some of his more rich, elaborate, yeah, well thought out, contextually. Well, and it was his first film too, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel so, like he had a lot yeah. of. He's grown tremendously as a filmmaker. Since then, yeah, since then, it yeah. shows like the the potential. It's like you can watch that and see. Oh, that's early Tarantino, right when he was on the cusp of turning into the great Tarantino that we know. Yes. You know, yep. So. Yep. So that's my number my number nine, then Reservoir Dogs. What is your number eight, Laron? Oh, this is surprising for a lot of people. Django Unchained. Um, really? I genuinely I genuinely love Django Unchained. I just think that um for me personally, I felt like the last twenty-three minutes or so um strained strained anything that was great about it um leading on. Because I felt like there was a third act there after uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Um, Christ- yeah, yeah, once Christoph Waltz and Leo bite it, the, the movie definitely gone. loses a lot. It of loses, the, and, and not yeah. that there wasn't still things that needed wrapped yeah. up in the I story. I mean, Jamie Foxx and Samuel Jackson were great. 
Yeah. And yeah, you get to have another epic shootout. That's great. But it did feel tacked on. It yeah. felt it felt like the film knew exactly what it was, and then he ran he ran out of steam there at the end, and well, but like, hadn't wrapped up things. It's so like he was writing the whole movie for the big end of Act Two set piece, mm-hmm. and then was like, "Well, that can't be the end." Can't but be the that end. was kind of felt like everything was but writing to that. Was writing to that, and yeah. then it happens, and there's still twenty five minutes of movie left that I felt could have been easily been trimmed up at least half of that length, you know, just to, you know, it just felt at that point it strained. It strained for everything. They're like, again, it's still pulpy and fun, but something about that third act just kind of sucked the energy out of it. Sure. And, and I, so that's... It's a very long movie, too. It's a long film, but yeah. it was still great, fun, something I will rewatch, too, if not for nothing else for the performances, so, because Christoph is great, second Oscar for that film. Leo should have been nominated for that. Leo should have got... Leo, man. He was fantastic. <laughs> he was One fantastic. of his best performances, I agree. Sure. I agree. He was robbed. Leo was robbed. I'm still mad about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, my number eight is going to be The Hateful Eight. And listen, my initial thought was to place that at the bottom because that movie made me angry. I remember. It made me angry. We talked about it earlier. And even though... But I admire the craft. I admire what he was doing with that film. I just wish... He didn't look like such an asshole when it was all like, <laughs> like, like the, my yeah. takeaway was we're just like God, life sucks. Uh, people are awful, and let's just let's just go ahead and laugh it all off before we die. Because sure. that one know. was definitely yeah. punishing. It was punishing for the audience. Yeah. And I know it's and called did, the Hateful Eight. That's kind of the, that, that's that was kind what of the say. point. Yeah. I know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. God. Life's too miserable. What I loved about that is Samuel L. Jackson in particular, his character in that, which from the trailers does not appear to be the lead, and it looks like it's Kurt Russell's film. Oh, yeah. It looks yep. like anyone else's film, but Samuel L. Jackson gets all, he hams the hell out of that oh, yeah. out of that role. The performances in that movie yeah. as a whole are mm-hmm. A+. Plus. That was, a, mm-hmm. I guess it's a spoiler, but Channing Tatum yeah. shows up. That's when he shows up. I mean, he had done some really cool stuff before yeah. that, but that was where I saw it. He like, Okay. Really eloquently delivered a Tarantino monologue again, in a really great way, and I was like, "Wow!" Again, if you're in a Tarantino movie, he sees something in you because he's not going to put you in his movie if he thinks you don't. You're not going to because his there's there's a Tarantino brand of dialogue. Oh yeah, that not everybody can put their mouths around because it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a mouthful. It's quick. It's fast. It's zany. Um, and everything has to be purposeful, and there's everything, a rhythm there's to a, it. Yeah, rhythm and cadence to exactly yeah. how you say everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll yeah. stick it like a sore thumb if you can't do it. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? like, so, so, um, so yeah, so that showed up. I mean, like all performances all around were a plus. I did feel like, um, oh shit, what's his name? Tim Roth shows up in this movie in a wildly un-Tim Roth role yeah. that he does great in. But I was so convinced that Christoph Waltz was supposed to play that role and he couldn't get he get, <laughs> Christoph just couldn't Waltz. Get him. <laughs> so I was like, all right, uh, Tim Roth, do your best, best uh, Christoph Waltz performance. And it's great. It's just really funny. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Uh, number seven for me is um, is The Hateful Eight. Okay. Um, I prefer it to Django in terms of craft. I think Django I would rewatch more often because it's 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 pulpier, it's more fun. Um but I think that I think that the Hateful Eight in terms of craftsmanship is more sophisticated and just a better directed film in general. Um but that was uh, yeah for and then also one highlight out of that uh God actress's name was nominated for an Oscar blonde crazy chick that's in oh, the, the bounty uh, the person that's yeah, up for the bounty Je- um, J- Jennifer Jason Jennifer, J- Jennifer Jason Lee Jennifer it, Jason yeah. Lee also an underrated performance thought she was fantastic in yeah. that nasty performance but she, oh, she was also great. very great so yeah yeah absolutely uh, I, I agree with everything with the number rating um, my uh, number seven is going to be Jackie Brown we've already talked at length about it 
it's probably going to rank a lot higher once I rewatch it. But for now, that's in my memory, that's where it goes. So Jackie Brown, number seven. How about your number six, Lauren? Number six also surprises some people. Kill Bill, Volume One. Um, I I love this film. I think it's um, I think, but I think when in com- comparably, if you put the two volumes together, they are very distinctly different in tone. You know, one's more of a spaghetti western. This one's more of a very hyper stylized again uh, adult adult cartoon. Lots of blood and guts. Um, lots of fun. Like there's an anime sequence in the middle of it. It's 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 a it's a very inventive film. I love it, love it to pieces. Um, but um, I just I prefer this the volume two um, to one um, significantly, and we'll see where that ranks later. But um, okay. yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, so my number six is going to land with Django Unchained. Yeah, I, I actually agree with your reasoning. That last act is definitely, it loses a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. It's still fun. I still think it's a ton of fun. I, Leo's performance and Christoph Waltz, man, that next level stuff. I, I mean, stu- I still long to see what that film would have been like if Will Smith was the lead. Uh, yeah. I mean, Jimmy Fox is great. No, he's great. He's great, but that could have been Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Oh, my and God. It, it would have been more interesting with Will Smith. I think so, Because too. it was so far out of his wheelhouse of yeah. anything he'd ever done. His career it, probably could have used it, too, to be I honest. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Could have did that instead of After Earth. But anyway, uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, I do like Django Unchained. I appreciate that Tarantino was trying to take on uh, history in an interesting way. So... Mm-hmm. Some people would argue maybe he didn't succeed. Uh, I just I do think that it was gutsy for him to do that, and I think largely he succeeds other than just like some pacing problems in Act Three. So that's my number six. What's your number five, Laron? Number five is Pulp Fiction. Ooh, um, the granddaddy, the granddaddy of of Tarantino. This is the one most people refer to when they talk about Tarantino. It is a brilliant film. I think it's great. I just think over the years, even though my relationship with it, but I mean my love for him started there. Um, I've just noticed that the things and sort of sort of his sensibility as a writer and a, and a filmmaker and his vision, um, I've just seen him do what he did in Pulp Fiction um, better in other films. In other films. In yeah. other films. And yeah. so it's like, obviously, it was my first introduction of it, but it's just that I just seen him, I just seen him grow so much since that. Um, and the things I love about those other films obviously predated, you know, predated them. But I think this, I think uh, Pulp Fiction is one of those ones, obviously iconic, Definitely, there's moments in it that are just, you're never going to forget great performances. But that feels like, I, I see what you're saying, though. That feels sort of like, and this is going to sound, it's a, this is only speaking to how brilliant Tarantino is as a craftsman, writer, and filmmaker. That's like base-level Tarantino. Like, he's telling an original story. But, I mean, we're going to talk about some other films here. I mean, some of the, the things he, he t- some of the ideas and themes he tackles using that same style is a lot more interesting and complex, I think. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, my number five is Kill Bill Volume 1. I love the zany action. I love the cartoon. I love how Tarantino refers to it as, in my movie universe, it's a movie that people go to see okay. at the theater. Okay. That's, it's, that's why it's like extra weird. You said volume one. One. Okay. volume 1. Volume 1. Volume 1. Yeah, Kill Bill Volume 1. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's a fun time. A huge yeah. hit for Uma Thurman. I don't yeah. really know much to say about it other than I just really enjoy it. I enjoy the... also love the female protagonist just being a badass, like, mm-hmm. take no shit been through the the ringer yep. and comes out of it fighting with the with every you know everything in her might and it's just it's a it's a compelling female role a very complex yes. layered complicated character that is flawed for sure yes but um that you root for the entire time yep. so 
Nope. Wholeheartedly agreed. Wholeheartedly agreed. That takes us to number four, LaRon. Number four is Once Upon a Time and dot, 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 Hollywood. Um, pretty high on the list. Number four, yeah. Pretty high on the list. I don't know if I'm just on a high from watching it, but um, I just feel like contextually looking, I looked at all of his work and and thinking about, you know, um, everything we've, we've discussed prior. Um, this is, this is, this is like a great um, culmination of a lot of his his best and worst you know qualities in mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, and I feel like it's the most sophisticated thing he's done in a long time. Yep. You know where there's no strain. I can't really pinpoint any particular moment in this that I'm like, I wish he hadn't done that. I didn't like that subplot. Didn't like that character. Which I can say for almost all of his films, I can right. find something in there that I didn't care for. I love this from beginning to end. So, um, so I have it there as number four. Yeah, number four. I think that's a uh, it's a really good pick because my number four is going to be Kill Bill Volume Two, Part okay. Two. All right. uh, yeah, Part One's the crazy zany action flick, and Part Two's kind of the meat. You know, For sure. One's the okay. flash, two's the substance. I think that's why they work so well as a, one film. I tend to. I mean, obviously Tarantino's the director, so he can say what he wants, but mm-hmm. I think it does really work better as one giant epic sure. more so than it does two separate films but since we're breaking them in half volume two i feel like delivers on all the promise sure. and the uh, richer and exploring those richer ideas more so than part one for sure yeah uh so yeah i like that one better than part one okay uh laron chapman yes part th- uh, number three number three for me is jackie brown top three so uh jackie brown because it is so distinctly different from his other films um it stands out to me um because it's like it's like seeing another side of a filmmaker, you know, like this was a different, this is a different, I mean, his idea of a black exploitation type of film, um, but taking, you know, different elements. And I felt like this was, um, it's just, it's a unique um, departure from his, his regular brand of, of, of his regular style in general. It's just way more subdued. Subdued, you know, I yeah. do remember that. And I think that's why I didn't catch on to it as much as I should, I think I'd appreciate that now at the time watching it. You were expecting more Pulp Fiction and you're not getting that. Yeah, if you're expecting what you normally get from him as a filmmaker, it will disappoint. If you watch it as its own, as its own standalone film, and just knowing he directed it, sure, but but just as a story, just as a a cohesive film, it's... It, I think it'll surprise you. With, I think so. I think so. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting that one because sure. I, uh, sure. yeah, I think, I think, I think my takes can be different. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so my number three, boiling down to the top three, hey, oh, uh, Pulp Fiction. All right. It, yeah, it's it's yeah. It, it's it's the movie that really helps you get. This is Tarantino. This is his voice. This is what he can do. He tells stories out of form against uh, form. Form. He does the the break down the axe. He is uh, satirizing violence. He mm-hmm. has famous people in all of his roles. Twist and turn. Uh, the story doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Um, yeah. You know, it's not about it's about the plot, but it's not really. You 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 think it's about the plot, and then when it's over, you're like, wow, I thought the story was X, mm-hmm. and it's not even. No, there's in no way is it X. Yeah, it's something totally different. And initially, when you see it the first time, you're kind of shocked. You're like, what, what did I? What was it? I just okay. You sure. know, if you, especially if you aren't seen other Tarantino films, uh, that film, you're like, oh, okay. That once you recontextualize, you kind of appreciate how brilliant it is in a lot of ways. Sure. And um, I mean, 
everything from the Kristen Christopher Walken uh, monologue about the watch mm-hmm. uh, to the sex dungeon uh, to the date night with John Travolta and Uma Thurman, like all that stuff is just great. The characters are super memorable. Yeah, everything we love about Tarantino can be found in Pulp Fiction. Absolutely, and it's uh, one that I. Um, I take comfort. I've got. I've seen it so many times now. I take comfort in revisiting it, even yeah. though there's a lot of crazy stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For yep. Sure. So number two, uh, number two for me is Inglorious Bastards. Um, this for me has one of the greatest opening acts in a movie I've seen in like ten years. Um, I think that opening sequence where he and also I can thank Tarantino for gifting the world with the greatness that is Christoph, Christoph Waltz. Waltz. Oh my god! Um, and I think that opening sequence because you have zero expectation or what to know what to expect from it, and just the charm and 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 warmth that Christoph Waltz character comes into it with, um, and you don't have any idea. Talk about suspense, suspense, man. suspense, and 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 suspense that hits you like you know, like a bolt of lightning once you realize how much danger you're really in. And that's like how his stories are. You know, they get you so absorbed into the monotony of just the characters and the musings of their ideas and their mind and everything. And then and then the plot settles in. And you realize that this is a menacing character that was 10 steps ahead of the character of the protagonist at the time, you know, um, and he knew exactly why he was there, and he, he, you know, he went in there with motivation and what have you. So, and the rest of the film is like that. It's it's almost half of a foreign it happen, film. It happens that like there are at least two very long sequences in that movie where you're just on the edge of your seat because it's so full of suspense because you're you're waiting for the ball to drop. You know, it's not. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's he does that 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 op, that movie operates in like three uh, in three different ways. It's long drawn out scenes filled with suspense where you know that the, the, the stakes are so high yeah and if anything goes wrong yeah he's he's, Hitch, he's hitchcockian with suspense yes he, he i feel he, like and i feel like he does it the best in inglorious in bastards, bastards yeah. yeah it's punctuated in a really deep way and also the characters that you think are the leads are not necessarily you right. know the, there's a female as the lead the whole movie yes yes um well there's 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 the suspense there's the monologuing, like there, then there's just the general like character monologuing. You're learning about all these characters that exist in this weird reality, alternate yeah. reality he's created. And then there's the scenes of like intense violence and, and action, sharp, punctuated, yeah, it, shocking violence. You know that yeah. comes that comes out of the. It, it's like you know it's coming, but you never know when or you know, how or how or how. And that's and how he does it is never in the way you think. Just never. It's never in a um, it's never in a predictable way. Yeah. It's always it's always it's always when you least expect it. And it could be during a moment of of pin drop silence, or it could be, you know, right in the middle of a conversation. So Right. Yep. Um, no, yeah. wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so I It's always I would, earned, I should say. It's always earned because sometimes shock value is a thing. And yeah, it doesn't feel that way. And and there are some of his movies, I do think there's shock value for shock value's sake. I do not think I think in Glorious Bastards, every time it's implemented, it is yeah. well earned and, mm-hmm. and greatly adds value to the story. Sure. Um in some meaningful ways even. Uh yeah, I would go as far as to say in Glorious Bastards is a, is a masterpiece. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, which leads me to my number two, which is Once Upon a Time okay. in Hollywood. I am very impressed. Uh, be, well, I just, I love these characters. I want to revisit this film. And yeah, I, like you, I might be high on it. Maybe in five sure. years I'll feel differently. But I it it just really says something that I want to spend five more hours. I want to watch three more movies with these characters like right now. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to know what they're going to do next. Okay, so... Mm-hmm. 
what are what is Rick Dalton going to do? Like, yeah. what's that actually going to turn out to be? Uh, what, what, what's a what is the next step in their life? You know, he he spent so much time writing out these backstories, these characters. You really feel like they they're not real people because they feel kind of like they're in that little wheel, weird nostalgia reality he's created. Sure. But you believe it, and you want to just keep. Yeah. hanging out with them. Yeah. Uh, and I love the tribute to the golden age of Hollywood. I don't think it's done... The, I don't feel like it's done in an overindulgent way. I'm not saying that it does not indulge. I'm saying I don't feel like it's like, rah, rah, look how great movies are in, well, in Hollywood is, per se, like in the way like maybe some Oscar bait would be. It's more just like a fond recollection or memory like we've already talked about. So... Uh, it just landed really well with me. I love Brad Pitt in this movie. Maybe more so. I mean, ugh, maybe not more so than Aldo, Aldo Lieutenant Aldo Reigns. But it's I I love this guy. This guy is. I think I do actually. I think this character has a lot more uh, under the surface than I think the other one is more of a. I don't want to say a caricature, but he's fun as hell, right. for sure. Of course, but yeah. I feel like this character has yeah, Cliff, a, Booth. Cliff Booth. Yeah, Cliff Booth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, I, I just love that scene with him and Bruce Lee. It's great in the trailers, but it's even better it's, in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, LeBron, that takes us to number one. What do you have left? What's your number one? My number one is Kill Bill Volume Two. Ooh, Volume Two. So this is the one. This is the the Tarantino film that affected me emotionally, and that's not normally what he draws. He draws reactions. He draws. Uh, he draws insights. He draws conversation. But Uma Thurman's story in as at God, now I'm forgetting her the character name, but um, uh, Beatrice Kiddo, right? Beatrice Kiddo. Um, that particular character is one of my favorite characters in in cinema. I just think she is so compelling. Her journey is fascinating. It's tough. It's long. It's hard fought. Um, and by the time she goes there, it, I love. I just love the the poetry of when she finally is there to uh, to kill Bill. Essentially, um, it's done in the most humane but also the most twisted way it's and it's not it's not incredibly violent at all really no. it's just she found the one thing that could offend him the most you know where we could live and, and say that that is atonement right there you know mm-hmm. being able to take the one thing that you couldn't learn your whole life and and it is ultimately the thing that i used against you to kill you and i thought mm-hmm. that was powerful and i also think just in general as you mentioned uh, separating the volumes if they if you consider them two films they're not but um, but they're definitely tonally very different films. I think that this is the one where the story sets in and everything that was fun about the volume one is given is given depth, is given um like you know, we, we it's more more emotional context. Yeah, everything was understood, you know, like in in, pulp, in in volume one, like okay, we understand something horrific happened to her, but we go we're dropped right into her fighting to get to these people and not ever really seeing the scene that actually happened and going to that moment and getting like, again, emotional context for all these different scenes. It just adds so much dramatic weight to that story. And it really honestly, for me, makes kill bill volume one better. I think so. so. No, I hardly agree. And it makes the story come into full form. And so I just think it, um, yeah. And it's, it's rare that a film could do a sequel sort of esque sort of, I mean, the film that follows it in terms of production that, could make could make you love what you've seen prior even more, you know, because mm-hmm. normally everyone loves the original, you know, more than anything. Nor it's very rare X two, you know, <laughs> that you get a sequel that makes you just love everything that happened before. It gets just gets everything right. So yeah, 
So I uh, think that's a great choice. And yeah. that's the nice thing about Tarantino. You can kind of move stuff around. And I think uh, everyone yeah. would say, yeah, these are all great movies. For different reasons. Which one's the best one? Yeah. Sure. Uh, which leaves me with my number one, which is Inglorious Bastards. All so right. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is fantastic. We'll see how it ranks in the long term. But I will say this. Glorious Bastards is a movie that has only, I feel like, gotten better with time, mm-hmm. that I've appreciated more with time, that I find, what I find really interesting about it is despite having all of his signature stylings, uh, his writing, his directing, his like weird tangents in the movie, the violence, all that stuff is there. But I actually think it's his most mainstream movie. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, yeah, it's still got the, it's still got it's the different his grand, acts. It's his Grand Budapest. Yeah, it's Grand better, Budapest Hotel. Better, but, yeah. but understandably, like, most people know that than they know, um, you know, Jackie Brown. Or, right. You know, like, yeah, and, and I say and I say mainstream, it just is in, like, I feel like it's the most digestible of all of them. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about, like, because the, there is, in, in that movie, more so than his, several of his other movies, I feel like there's a very clear through-line plot that hits certain beats. Yeah. Again, it's unexpected, but in that way, in that way, it makes it really easy to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I've seen it several times. So that that definitely uh, you know adds Helps. to it. But I just thought, I think that I the way that you know, and I hope I'm not give, giving him too much credit. But the way he really turns the we think we want to kill Hitler, we think we want to kill the Nazis, and yeah. we do, and it's great. It feels great in the moment. But then there's that last shot of the movie where it's Brad Pitt and looking down with a smile, carving mm. the the swastika into uh, Christoph Waltz's head, mm. and uh, doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. It feels because like, it's like, are we actually any better? Are we really thing. any better than the Nazis? And I feel like that is a great way to leave. Yeah, we watched all this violence and we felt great about it, but at the end you feel you walk away feeling kind of icky, right? It's how you it's how you always say like you never get away. Revenge doesn't take away the pain, doesn't take away the the tragedy of what happened prior. And like you said, it's almost just like all the horrific things we hated about them just got reincarnated, you know. And now we're wielding the knife, and right. it makes us look just again just as bad or just as nihilistic as them. So yeah. I think that's a it's a sobering ending where we end with the well. Sometimes what we want is not what we want, right? Or what we, we think, we, we, think want. we want, yeah. And I, I, so I really appreciate the examination, but like I said, I already I'm not going to be a dead horse, but just the opening act and then the scene in the bar, the underground basement sure. bar, are two of my favorite movie uh, sequences of all time. Yeah, they're long, they're drawn out, but you know things are going to go awry in somewhat. You don't know how, yeah. you don't know exactly why or how, yeah. but you know things are going to go awry some way. Yeah. And the way, specifically the second one, the the way that goes awry is so surprising. Yeah. But it makes so much sense. And yeah. and then of course it you know it ends with yeah mm-hmm. graphic violence everywhere. So. There's no there's <laughs> no wasted time in Glorious Bastards. Even though sure. it's like almost three hours. It's long. almost three there's hours long. That lo- that long sequence. And then also we get a really uh, which I didn't know at the time until I rewatched it recently. That my, that's Michael Fassbender, right? Yeah, yeah, it is Michael Fassbender. Before like pre, pre before he was Michael Fassbender. Before he was Michael Fassbender, yeah. and it's a great it's a great performance too. It's yeah. like it's just like oh yeah he was in this. Um, I love that when that happens when you've already been introduced to an actor and you never knew. Um, but yeah, it was it's great, and I think unlike unlike say like Django, um, where we had that last act where it seems like time could have been used more judiciously, here you know, even in its lengthy. Whatever. Well, no, this one felt felt like despite us having some amazing moments along the way, uh, Inglorious Bastards really felt like it was building to that final act, like the yeah. whole movie. I mean, because as yeah. you pointed out, the main yeah. character is not who you think it's going to be, and yeah. you watch it like, oh, that's her arc yeah. throughout the movie, exactly. Versus like Django and Chained, it's like 
is it Django's movie? I know he's in the title, but also Christoph Waltz has got this huge subplot, and it feels like he, Quentin's having a lot of fun mm-hmm. writing Christoph mm-hmm. and Leo and kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it just, yeah, yeah that third act loses steam, whereas this film, I feel like the, the third act is a it true builds. It's great, a culmination to it. Yeah, 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 yeah for exactly. Sure. It's a difference, yeah, yeah for sure. Well, so, there you go. so there's our rankings. Uh, people online, hit us up uh, on the Cinematrop on Twitter uh, and uh, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis with your favorite Tarantino films. Go ahead and rank those. Send those to us. Uh, you can tweet me and see Master's Talk. Uh, Laurent, I, I don't know. I, I plan to talk about spoilers, but here's the thing. We, talk, we spent a long time talking about that top 10 list that I wasn't expecting to have. Sure, sure, sure. So here's the question I have for you. Yeah. Should we let the, the surprise be up to the listeners? We can. We can let that surprise be up to them. Yeah. They're going to see it. Go see it. Go Definitely see it. go see yeah. it. I'll just say this. I had someone uh, on my Facebook wall who said, this was a great movie, but I didn't like it because he did a, a, a thing similar to what he had done in another movie. And I was like, you're not wrong, but also the reason he did it in this movie it's is different. way different. It has more impact this time. I think it does, too. Yeah, I think so. Because it's more surprising. It's more surprising. Well, I shouldn't say more, actually. Mm. Maybe not more surprising. But it, it, it's still surprising, right? Yeah, yeah surprising. And uh, I, I am all on board with directors using the same tools uh, mm-hmm. and methods that they have impl- uh, used in other films in the past, as long as they're doing it to reveal yeah. something new and different to the audience. It does. And it I does. think that... We're referring to the final... We're referring, referring to the final to the, to some of the final sequence of the sure. film. And, uh, yeah, and, and I just think that the reason he does things differently, it, the reason he does uh, this, um, deploys this method, this method tactic here is it really recontextualizes the whole film again in the same way. It, it, it does the same thing, but it, does, it means something different. In this movie, we are watching a story unfold and we think it maybe is supposed to take place. Sure. But really it just kind of adds that man, weren't things great? Mm. Ah, it was so great. Things and went, it, things went awry. It's too bad they didn't end up a little differently because it could have yeah. been a lot better. Yeah. What if, what, what, what if life would have been like had the cynicism essentially that invaded this golden era space, you know, like what if we turn the leaf what it, would life and the world and culture and history have what been different? What if these two neighbors just happened to be around who and aren't actually historical figures? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. Anything else you want to add about that? No. Go see it. Absolutely. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is playing in theaters near you. It'll probably be playing for a while because also uh, opening weekend, it was Quentin Tarantino's biggest opening of all time, beating out... Uh, Inglorious Bastards by about two million dollars. So okay. congratulations to Quentin Tarantino. Looks yeah. like he's still got, he's, he's still got it. He's still got it. <laughs> um, all right, Laurent Chapman. Well, where can people keep up with you and your work until uh, our next review? The best, the most effective way to keep a hold of me is on Instagram at Freaky AF Film. Um, so that's the handle there. Um, and you can keep up with all of my uh, productions. You can keep up with my the and the random musings of my life. So. Absolutely, and you can find me tweeting about all the things film, television, video games over at C Masters Talk. That's letter C, Masters Talk. Uh, and you can, fi- of course, find more of our podcasts um, on the cinematropolis.com or through your preferred podcast app, uh, particularly Spotify. Spotify is great. Check it out. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think next month we might be showing our hand here, but Laurent, me and you have a guilty pleasure on our hands. We do. It's very important. It's, it's very important it's, to cinema. It's very history. important to cinema cinematic history the the most important movie of the summer surely mostly uh, hands down. you know longtime listeners uh, who, who have listened to me and Laurent talk back on the good trash media days will know that we are huge fans of the fast and furious 
franchise. Yeah. Except for that last one, which was hot garbage. Yeah, we, we it, just don't talk about it. No. It actually almost... Doesn't exist. It, yeah. <laughs> and if it did exist, it theoretically would have killed all the momentum that series had going for it up to that yeah. point. But uh, so I was done, LeBron. I had left that life behind. I was like, I'm just going to enjoy too. the ones I like. I looking back. I wasn't looking back to this thing that, thank God, didn't happen. Yeah. Had it happened, it would have been terrible. Um, but then they said, we're going to do a spinoff with The Rock, the Dwayne, The Rock, Johnson, Johnson, and Jason <laughs> Statham. And I was like, I don't think I really care about this. I, I think I think we're good. I don't think we really need it. And the bad guys... Idris Elba. And I was like, like shit, okay, I'm there. I'm in. Take, take the money. Damn it, that's what they take, needed. Take, that's, what they, that's all they needed. Didn't make them bond, but hey, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine, you know, it's fine. Um, hey, if you've seen the trailers for Hobbs and Shaw, the movie we'll be reviewing next, <laughs> you'll know that Idris Elba doesn't need to be James Bond because he's Superman. I hope that our intro for this is, uh, is, 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 is as entertaining as the movie will be, but, um, but we'll see. We'll see. We, and they will find out. We will see. Ladies and gentlemen, catch us next month when we will be reviewing Hobbs and Shaw, uh, thank you so much for tuning into the Cinematic Schematic, and we'll catch you again next time.